Hopefully this is the last time you'll hear this ad. With Chime checking account features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts or at least grab an extra latte. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals 24. That's chime.com goals 24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com slash disclosures for details. I've never been this nervous in my life. Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! <laughs> What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. I'm Leo Phillips, host of This Must Be The Gig. We're a weekly podcast that documents everything about the world of live music. Speaking with choreographers, costume and set designers, the people who run beloved venues and festivals, and, of course, speaking with musicians about that one gig that changed their lives. Get your peek behind the curtain at consequenceofsound.net, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thank you so much for checking out the series and this episode. If it's your first time here and you're not a subscriber, um, hopefully by the end of this you might be so inspired to hit that subscribe button as we send out new interviews uh, three times a week, one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. It is a great way to keep up with all of your favorite artists, uh, know what's happening in the music world, discover new musicians iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, anywhere you like to get your podcast from. Again, just type in Kyle Meredith with, hit subscribe. And I'm Kyle Meredith. Today I'm going to be talking with Harvey Mason Jr. He is the chairman of the board and interim president slash CEO of the Recording Academy. You also know the Recording Academy for the Grammy show that happens every single January. And we're going to be talking about all of that. In fact, with the Recording Academy, uh, they had put something in place this summer called the Summer of Advocacy, a very important work that they're doing out in the world and the music community, bringing aid to the music community, lobbying Congress. Uh, we're going to talk
talk about activism in music, especially in the pop world these days. Uh, they've partnered with Color of Change. And of course, they've got Music Cares, which is taking care of a lot of people out there. And we're going to be talking about the Grammys. Now, the uh, the date is set for January 31st. And of course, no one knows exactly what it's going to be looking like. Is it going to be virtual like, like everything is these days? Harvey Mason Jr. is going to talk quite a bit about that, as well as some of the category changes this year. That uh, Best New Artist, a very infamous category in itself, is seeing uh, an, an updated version this year. And then after we talk with Harvey Mason Jr., I'm going to uh, include a second interview here with Milana Lewis. Now, she is the founder of STEM, a distribution and payment solution uh, that, that's helping artists rethink how they're putting music out in the world and making sure that they get paid. So you see, it's a very special episode here. That's all about helping musicians be musicians. So we'll talk a little bit more about Milana Lewis here in just a few moments. But let's get started with the first part here. It's Kyle Meredith with Harvey Mason Jr. of the Recording Academy and Grammys. Hi, how are you? We've got a lot of big subjects to talk about today. But um, just for folks who don't know exactly what the divide is, what is the difference between the Recording Academy and the Grammys? No difference at all, actually. The Recording Academy is just the body that hosts the Grammy Awards. So they are pretty much synonymous. We've been doing the Grammys and the Academy has been in, in as an organization for 62, 63 years now. Uh, this year we're doing it uh, January 31st. So we'll see what kind of show it is this year. But uh, that's what we're best known for is the Grammys. And we'll talk a little bit about that uh, next year's show here in just a little bit. But uh, there are, as they say, bigger fish to fry here because um, now you're, uh, you're, you're sort of new in the position that you're in. I mean, this is within this year that you've taken over this uh, interim presidency parts, but have hit the ground running from, uh, from what I can tell and everything. I, I want to start out because it was about a month or so ago that uh, the Recording Academy announced the Summer of Ad- Advocacy, which seems... Um, very appropriately timed with everything that's going on, but what exactly is the summer of advocacy? It's just us really calling attention to the efforts that we're going to make going forward around advocacy. Uh, Federally, locally, we're doing just, we're just being very active. Uh, We try to always advocate on behalf of our members. We are 23,000 strong, but also just the overall music community. Uh, We like to make sure that we're looking out for the best interests of music creators and music people all across the country. So this summer, we're going to re-emphasize that effort. Uh, We are supporting legislation that goes around bringing aid to people in the music community that need help around COVID, which, you know, it's, it's a big, big crisis in everybody's face. It so we're not different from anyone else, but we're just trying to make sure that we're doing what we can for our constituents. Uh, there are a couple acts that we're uh, going to support the Restart Act, and then there's another one that we've already done the CARES Act. Uh, there's um, the Mixed Earner Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Act, which we're also supporting coming up here. So these are just things that are really relevant to our community uh, and things that we can affect on a national level. So that's what we're going for during the summer of advocacy. We also are doing our Advocate Day where we all meet. There's thousands of creators across the country. Uh, we meet locally with local lawmakers, uh, whether we're sitting in studios or we're sitting in you know, offices. We go to, Right now it's probably going to all be virtual, but we're meeting with lawmakers to make sure we lobby for things that matter and things that affect our, our organization and our music makers. Now, is this something, meeting with lawmakers, uh, talking with uh, Congress, is this something you would have been doing on any given year, or is this really because of the situation that we're in? We do it every year. Sometimes we go to where we annually go to DC and do uh, Grammys on the Hill, which is a big event where we meet with people there, congressmen, senators there. Uh, and then we also do it locally. So this is something we do year, every year. 
This year it's going to be different being that it's virtual, but we will have over a thousand music people meeting with members of Congress. This might seem like an obvious question, but, uh, you know, with every profession asking for help in, in the way that they, you know, the world has been during the, uh, the pandemic, do you get a sense that Congress actually sees music as important? I like to think so. I hope so. They're probably, you know, driving home listening to it. So I think uh, if we can reemphasize and make sure we amplify the message that it is important and there's you know hundreds of thousands if not more um, music creators and people that work in the industry of music beyond just songwriters and artists and singers there's people who are you know light riggers and stagehands and engineers there's so many people around this industry and there's so many of them that are really falling on hard times we've never seen a crisis like this in the history of our industry uh, so it's really important that congress does see the, the importance of musicians and music and art in general and i think um, if we can help raise the awareness and just shine a light on some of the need hopefully we can get some attention we had 25,000 letters sent to congress members uh, during the cares act and I like to think that it helped a little bit because we did get some some protection and some assistance in that in that uh, bill. So we're going to continue to do the same thing, hopefully take it a step further. A handful of the guests we've had on here uh, so far, one of the things we have been talking about, uh, especially where this series started, was uh, the NEVA organization and uh, Save Our Stages, as we've been talking. Um, as there was a big report that comes out that says upwards of 90% of independent music venues may not open, and, and they've okay. been definitely crusading for that, which it leads to that big trickle down, as someone uh, else has said on this series, that uh, if the artist can't tour to a place that's 75% of their income and at the small places in the middle, you know, it just starts, the entire industry starts breaking down. When you're going, you know, when you're having these meetings, I mean, you're asking, it sounds like specifically, how do we put money in these people's pockets? And you brought up a couple acts that go along with that. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more, explain exactly what they are. What is the Restart Act and the Mixed Earner Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Act? Like what can musicians and, and people in the industry expect to gain from this if it does go through? We hope we can just gain some support and some financial assistance. They're both pretty detailed bills and, and go far into the weeds, but the mixed income that has to do with W-2 income versus 1099. So it gets very detailed, but we just want to make sure that music people are protected and allowed for and allotted for in this uh, stimulus package or any acts that go forward around COVID. And the value of music and the value of art in this time has never been more prevalent and never, you know, we're not more aware than we are now of music and art. And, you know, this is what brings us together. These are the people that are helping us get through this crisis. I mean, there's so many amazing people in the medical profession, and uh, law enforcement, and other really important professions, but art and music is something that in these uncertain times, it really makes a difference to our society and to our culture. So I think whatever we can do to make sure we're emphasizing that and calling attention to it and making sure that these people are looked out for. Uh, you have mentioned on, on your all side, on the Recording Academy site, people can get involved. Uh, anybody can get involved uh, if they register as a district advocate. What exactly is that? A district advocate is somebody who is willing to come and advocate on behalf of other music creators and music people. So every year we do this, as we said earlier, uh, we pick a day and it's in August. We sit down with the lawmakers on a local level and usually they're in studios or in office buildings, but they'll be virtual this year. We sit down and we say, these are the things that matter to us. We usually tell a little bit about our background individually, where we come from. And a lot of times it's people in that person's district. So they're actual voters that have uh, everything to do with those people either being elected or reelected or raising money for their campaign. So they tend to listen to uh, people in their district. So 
It's individual districts getting together to really advocate and make sure we're shining a light on things that are important to music creators. The more voices we have, the louder we can be, the more attention we can have, and hopefully we can be considered in, in legislation going forward. Now, I, I want to turn to the other side of the advocacy part, too, because um, I don't know. Let, let me start here. Obviously, with what's going on, everything that's happening in the world right now seems to be intersecting with what we're experiencing every day in the music community. Uh, when we talk about the protests in the street, when we talk about Black Lives Matter, just it seems everything kind of starts being intertwined here. And, you know, so, so to get on that part of advocacy, I want to ask, first off, does it feel like pop music? And I, I'm talking like the top 40 side of things. Does it feel like it is more energized, charged up right now for activism than before? Because I don't know, I, I, I might be unfairly painting certain formats and genres uh, you know, it, but it seems like more of the biggest pop stars are suddenly getting in the game of saying this isn't right. You might be right. I think in times like these, everybody gets affected differently. Some people are uh, active and more vocal and some people are, are sad and emotional. But I, I tend to find that creators, people who create, especially musicians and songwriters, are inspired when things like this happen, the emotions start stirring and the songwriting starts happening, the artistry starts coming out and the singing becomes more passionate. Uh, and I, I think you might be right when something happens like this, especially around, we've got COVID, we've got Black Lives Matter. There's so many different things, a confluence of things are happening right now that's driving, I think, uh, an abundance of creation. I'm finding that the labels are releasing more music, the streaming companies and the different platforms have all said the numbers have been going up as far as releases. So. I think what you're seeing is just people being home more, having more time, but also maybe more importantly, they're just feeling more inspired and more creative because there's things on their mind, there's things in their heart. I mean, I'm energized by seeing that anyway. I know that's you've got to have the biggest voices kind of pushing everyone forward. So that's been a big part of it. That traces back again to what you all are doing here. Um, one of the most recent things that I've read about is you all partnering with Color of Change. Uh, that's part of this conversation as well, right? Absolutely. It continues in the summer of advocacy. It's, it's, uh, I don't know if it's fortunate or unfortunate what's happened with, I mean, it's very unfortunate what's happened in the world, but as a result, I think there's some good things that are happening. Uh, our partnership with the Color of Change is something I'm really excited about. We've contributed a million dollars to the organization we've gone through and made a very specific plan and agenda list of things we want to get done in partnership with them. And it includes you know, a listening tour, some seminars, some uh, creating a writer for our industry, going through and uh, doing real specific DNI practices around uh, our organization, but also just the industry as a whole. So we're very excited about what we're working on with the color change. Our chief diversity inclusion officer, Belisha Butterfield-Jones, has been with us just over two months, and the partnership there has been extraordinary. She's doing some amazing work with the organization, both on the color of change side, but also with the academy side. So it's all kind of going hand in hand with other things that we're trying to do at the academy. It's a, a real transformation that's taking place right now. Yeah, and again, to, to do this in such a, a, a quick, swift movement it seems like that you've done i mean is your head spinning right now because you took over the position what february march something around yeah, there that was uh february yeah <laughs> so it's it's crazy for sure but for me it's an opportunity to do what i've always thought needed to be done and what i really am excited about which is uh, make this really important organization even better even stronger than it always has been you know i ran as chair last year under a, a platform of change and my my speech and 
what I talked about was we can be better. We can look at everything we're doing and make sure it's, it's optimized. And so when I was instituted as the president CEO as well, it just gives us a unique opportunity to move quicker, move thoughtfully, but also make some real changes and, and transform what we all know is a really, really special place and a really important organization. We haven't talked about some of the other things we do, but the music cares and giving back to the music community on a financial level. We've raised over $20 million this year, giving away uh, you know, that amount of money to people who needed help, just paying rent or getting medical care or addiction recovery or food. So those are the, some of the things in the museum and education. What we're doing there is those are the things that are really, really important and really valuable that the Academy does. Uh, so for us, it's a chance to emphasize and, and highlight those things, but also expand them and build on them and really amplify what we do. So what does this all mean then when we get to the next Grammys? You know, you brought it up in 2021. Obviously, the conversation's more relevant than ever. I don't know what you can say and what you can't, but but what can we expect? Because again, if artists can't tour, does that affect what's going on? If people can't be in seats by that point, does that affect, obviously that affects what's going on. Yeah, huge impact. And we're really waiting to see what's going to happen from our you know, lawmakers and from our medical experts, whether or not we're going to be able to come together in January is going to be a big question mark. I'm not super optimistic about it. I don't know how you're feeling, but it seems like it doesn't doesn't uh, seem like it's going to happen. But our date is January 31st. We are going to have a show. Uh, there will be great performances, whether or not there's an audience, we're not sure whether or not the performances will be live and in person or will they be virtual. So we've seen a lot of that programming, you know, the Zoom or, or online or over the, uh, the viral programming, the virtual programming rather. Uh, so we might adopt some of that or we'll try and do as much of it as we can live. But I think the medical profession and the, the politicians will end up telling us uh, what's allowed. Now, one thing you all have talked about is a few of the changes in the categories. And that's where I want to wrap up here, too, because uh, uh, Best New Artist, that's, that's sort of got uh, altered, right? It did. We took away the top end threshold of releases that could potentially exclude you from being a Best New Artist. It was 30 releases so now we said it doesn't matter how many releases you've had it really has to do with more when you come to prominence as an artist so what was happening is a lot of artists especially hip-hop artists and black music artists were releasing a lot of music early in their career mixtapes or just soundcloud music or putting things on on some of the different platforms really early and that was disqualifying them from becoming best new artists possible 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 um, nominees so we removed that threshold allows them to develop in a way that normal artists in that genre like to develop put out music uh, evolve and then when they get to the point where they're really really coming um, into their own as artists we can still honor them as best new artists we were losing some good artists that way because they just released too much music well on top of that uh, you know the, the whole joke about the best new artist and I'm not making a joke about the Grammys of course but uh, there's always been that thing like do I want to be the best new artist <laughs> the history that goes along there. We've had some great best new artists, but there's been some times when, yeah, they, they're still great artists, but they didn't continue on. So Right. Well, that's the game. I know that's the game. <laughs> and there have been a few more category switches like that, and people can uh, kind of see the details as they go further in, looking up on the Record Academy, Recording Academy and Grammys website. It, it's all on there. And I want to point out again uh, that, uh, that folks can get involved. People should be paying attention. What would you say? I would say if you're a music creator or you're in this space, you should be a member of the Academy because of some of the things I talked about. 
what we're doing to give back to the community and serve our members is so important. And also just the, the awards. If you want to recognize excellence in music, you have to be able to vote and you have to be able to say, this is the record I think is best for this category. And a lot of people will watch the show and say, oh, that person shouldn't have won or why did that person win? And I say, we need your vote. We need your help to determine who should be nominated, who should be winning these categories. But I think uh, I also try and sometimes not go overboard with the Grammys are all about just that show and just about that award because we are a 365 days a year organization where, uh, as I said, out in this COVID crisis, we've been supportive of the community, uh, great work with the museum and education, great work in DC advocating to make sure we continue to get paid and we continue to be paid attention to in some of the new legislation. So the organization is an important organization if you love music, if you love art, and you've been involved in it in any way. So for us, We'd love to have you involved. It's a really special place. I'm very proud of the work we're doing. Harvey Mason Jr., thank you so much for the work you're doing. It is important stuff that, uh, that you all continue to do up there. We so appreciate it. And thank you so much for joining me to talk about it uh, today here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And thanks to Harvey Mason Jr., again, the uh, chairman of the board, interim president and CEO of the Recording Academy and Grammys. Now, as I mentioned, uh, part two of this, we're going to be talking with Milana Lewis, the founder of STEM. Now, STEM is an organization uh, that, that set out to help artists get paid especially in a world that's uh, cropped up in the last few years where everything is centered around digital. Now, Milana will tell you all about STEM and how it got started. She's going to be talking about uh, how, uh, how, how everything that's been happening this year is really an opportunity to get creative for not only artists, but the industry itself to reinvent the importance for artists to monetize their core fans. She'll uh, discuss being able to make money from music when it's distributed digitally. Uh, and scale, that's something they did earlier this year where uh, basically they've given $100 million in artist advances. Just this amazing thing that they've put out into the industry. And, and as far as investments, I mean, that's them investing in their artists. We also want to talk about the importance of good investments in the music industry and the harm of bad ones. Not every investment is a good investment. So let's jump into this. Part two, it's Kyle Meredith with Milana Lewis of STEM. Oh, hello, Milana oh, Lewis. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I've been telling everybody uh, what I know about STEM so far. And, uh, and and again, I'll do a proper introduction here with Milana Lewis, who, who founded STEM, um, looks like 2015, as I'm reading on the website. Yeah. And you've been helping, I mean, when artists are trying to figure out how to run their career as a business, you've become a very important part of that. I, I actually want to start start with a bigger question before we get specifically into what STEM is doing by asking from everything we're hearing, is the music industry in major trouble right now? Is this as dire as it seems from your point of view? It's so interesting. So uh, I definitely spend more time on like the recorded music side and my husband's a music touring agent. So within our Households, we hear a lot about the live side. And of course, we're talking to clients every day. So I'm hearing about some of the concerns and challenges from their end. Um, I think, if anything, it's really an opportunity to get creative and for the business to reinvent itself. You know, I haven't been in the music business my whole career. My background's more on the film side, if anything. And just from like really studying music and my own personal experience as a fan, you know, I remember the days before Napster when. Recorded music was really the majority of the revenue stream that artists were leveraging. And they were touring primarily to promote their recorded music. And it was after Napster where it really blew up the music business and demonetized the value of recorded music that artists really leaned into the touring side. And so it's really only been about the last two decades 
in really the last decade where music um, has taken a back seat to the touring side. And what's really exciting to me is when I think about a situation where they get to explore them. So things like direct subscriptions from your fans, you know, back then there used to be fan clubs and people would pay to be a member of them. And I think very few artists have taken advantage of that recently because they wanted to make things available to their fans for free through socials. Well, I think now it's an opportunity to think about how do you monetize your fans, your core fans more directly. That's uh, the, being creative, I think, is the key here, uh, is very the key. And, I, and that's what everybody's been trying to do. I mean, I feel like there's, a, you know, we all get the rug yanked out from under us first, you know, so there's that bewilderment that happens for a little while. But I do see. And, you know, for a lot of artists, the obvious thing was, OK, let's let's take to platforms like this and to just at least stay present. But at some point, it really has to become if you want to do this more than just writing music, you know, in, in your in your bedroom, in your basement or whatever and putting it out in the world. If you want to run it as a business, you've it, it, there has to be so many more steps beyond that. Uh, and that's where I'll ask about when you started STEM. So let us know exactly what this is, because, again, you started this in, in 2015. For what purpose? So at the time, I was a digital media agent working at UTA, which is one of the top tier talent agencies. And my job was really about how do we help our clients across all departments, music, film, TV, reality TV, comedy, et cetera, figure out how to go more direct to their fans and how you monetize your fans more directly without having to depend on the traditional studio network or label system. And my job was identifying the technology companies and platforms that artists should be using as tools to help build that type of a business. And so it was everything from you know, how do you partner with Kickstarter to make a movie independently to how do you self-distribute a comedy special on Twitter and monetize it directly? And uh, as I started working with more and more music clients, what I realized was that in a world where there's so many different platforms to monetize your music on, streaming was really evolving. And most artists had fans through social media that they can market to directly better than any institution could on their behalf. Um, the biggest pain point that they dealt with more than anything was really around the concept of in music, you don't make music by yourself. You have collaborators, you have songwriters, producers. And this is when a lot of those people were saying that they never saw money from streaming. They never saw money. You know, songwriters and producers have been complaining about not seeing royalties in a digital world. And when I started really uncovering the problem and digging in, what I realized is that it was primarily because there was no easy way to pay them out. So what happens is on the master recording of a song, it's usually the label that gets paid. But if you're an independent artist, you are your own label. And so how are you going to administer the royalties to your songwriters and producers? And so huge clients, but also emerging artists, that was a big friction point for them. And so what we saw was big people like Childish Gambino or Chance the Rapper making their music available for free and putting it on SoundCloud or YouTube, because if they're not getting paid, they don't have a problem because they don't have to pay anyone. And I saw that as being really unfortunate because the reason why they were missing out on that monetization opportunity was primarily because they didn't want to sign with a record label at the time. So they didn't want to put it out on Spotify and those platforms, or they didn't have a tool that could automatically do that. So we created STEM as an, in an effort to alleviate the pain point of people being able to make money from their music when it's distributed digitally and eliminate all the burden of having to pay out their songwriters and producers directly. So, you know, you talk about songwriters and producers, and, and I think that it, 
probably occurs the most in the pop world, in the hip hop world. So when you've got, you know, the smaller DIY band that, again, they don't have to worry about. Maybe they don't have to worry about either, you know, with songwriters and producers. I'm reading a comment here. The little DIY bands like ourselves need more exposure. Now's the time to embrace that. Does it differ like how you're interacting with them when the cuts aren't split in, in that sort of way? So whether the user splits or not doesn't determine whether or not we interact with them or how we interact with them. We are a platform that is exclusive. So I saw someone earlier mentioning, like, I've never qualified for STEM. Um, We made a really hard decision in the beginning that actually we had to clarify last year, which was about becoming and really super serving a segment that we felt was completely underserved. Um, You know, we didn't come out to solve the distribution problem for emerging artists that I think has been solved pretty tremendously by companies like DistroKid and TuneCore and other self-serve distributors. Um, The real pain point that I saw really was around artists who had the problem of splitting the money once it came around, right? So what we realized is that where we're really good is not just the DIY, you know, early days artist that's looking to get exposure. It's really an artist who has an existing team around them that has a cat that has like an early catalog that already has a bit of traction that's looking to make the next leap that's right. looking for someone to help augment their relationships someone to help think more strategically about how they go to market how they grow from their core fan base and expand it to other regions so where there's like initial data sets that our team of analysts and account managers can look at and help be more strategic and i felt like for my clients that i was working with at uta that was a big pain point because They didn't just want to be able to put things up and be alone. They wanted to pick up the phone and have someone they could call to brainstorm with, to use as a sounding board, to help make introductions. You know, like a record label is really valuable because they're at the epicenter of a ton of relationships. And yet, if you're not part of an ecosystem like that as an artist, it's really hard to grow and take that next step. And so we created the STEM Direct program to super serve and be able to double down on this segment of artists where they've found initial traction. And they're making money. They don't want to have to deal with the headache of paying everyone. And they want the ability to access capital at more fair rates. And more importantly, have a team of people within a company that can help make introductions to marketing teams in Australia or radio promo people in Japan, you know, Hmm. putting together a la carte, all of the functions and resources you typically get as a one-stop shop at a record label, but without having to pay the additional fees of giving everything up in order to access that. Which is important. You, you mentioned fees and, and, you know, I should bring up really one of the biggest headlines of the year this year for the music industry came from STEM. And that was when you all started scale. Uh, this was in February. And I'm just going to throw out the number here because it, you're basically, uh, if I have this right, you loaded up a hundred million dollars in artist advances. What exactly does that yeah. mean for you all? Because it wasn't like you just walked out and said, and here's the money, everybody. I mean, what, what, what did that mean in the moment? Yeah. So we've been thinking about this for a long time. Um, so, you know, the business has been around at this point for a little over five years. And so early days, we had a combination of some of our friends who were artists that started using STEM and also uh, managers who were really developing their artists and artists who had left the major label system to join STEM. And in all cases, they got to a place where they, you know, needed to put money towards their music, whether it was production, marketing, promotion, or just wanted a little bit more cushion. And at that point, if they have traction, they're obviously going to get pursued by other labels. And so every artist comes into this place where they're like, 
how much can I really bet on myself and what can I do by bootstrapping? And, you know, for us as a business, we raised outside capital to be able to grow and develop what we're doing. And I believe that you need money to help fuel and grow your career. But what we started realizing was that when the artists would come tell us about these opportunities they're considering with advances, um, really how one unclear they were. So I was kind of shocked when I started realizing that when an artist has a manager and a lawyer and a business manager, and they get a term sheet and an offer from a major label, no one actually writes them a financial model. It's like, this is an artist that has monthly income that you should know what the asset value of their catalog is. And if you're going to get a million dollar advance, like what does that look like over the course of three years, five years, whatever that contractual period is. And in the tech world, in the startup world, we call that a performa, right? So I, as an entrepreneur, when I go and raise venture capital, when they give me a term sheet for, you know, an investment, which really in advance is an investment, they also give me a pro forma, which is an Excel model that says, here's how much equity you're giving up. Here's how much money you're giving up. Here's how long it's going to take for you to pay it back. And if it's a debt loan, it's that case. Or otherwise, it's just more clear, like, you know what you're giving up. And in music, that, like, didn't exist. And so um, first, before we launched Scale, we launched a program called the STEM Check which we just invited artists to come into our office and we built them financial models. We have a strong finance team at STEM. And we said, Hey, if you want us to, you don't have to tell us all the exact terms, but tell us the different types of terms that you've seen. And we'll run you a small, like a lightweight model. So you can see what does a million dollar advance actually get you? And what are you giving up? And through that, we learned that one, um, how expensive different deal terms were, right? So a 50, 50 net profit share, where an artist is giving up 50% of their revenue, but sharing 50% of the risk with the label, it's actually more like a loan with a fee of 100% because you're only recouping out of your 50%, which is crazy, right? And that's like considered one of the most favorable terms because it's a JV deal, what they call it, the major label system. And even more, um, more artist-friendly, like a 25-75 split, is still a fee of 33%, plus they own a piece of the revenue in perpetuity, right? Or for whatever the duration is, you're still giving them a percentage up. And so when we launched Scale, we wanted to come up with an alternative. We wanted to have a big enough pool of capital that we could offer to our clients so they could tap into it as they needed it to. But we wanted to put the terms in their control. So what was really important to us is one, making it super clear how much you have to pay back, what the fee on the money is, we didn't think it was fair to take a revenue share in perpetuity or for any duration that's fixed. Rather, determine the fee is going to be determined by how much money you take, if you want to flow through or not, because that determines how quickly it pays back. So the faster you pay it back, the lower the fee is. So you and your team get to make the trade off yourself. You can say, you know what? I don't need 200K right now. I just want 50K for a music video and being able to promote it through social and whatnot. I'm going to take less which means my fee is going to be lower and I'm going to bet on myself. And then once that's done for the next project, I can take more money again through scale. So we wanted to have an offering that was super flexible and where the artist and their team was in control of the terms and can make the trade-offs themselves. The one thing, you know, any of us, uh, even on the layman terms, if you're reading just uh, an autobiography of your favorite artist is how many times an artist was successful and broke you know, at the same time, because a lot of these terms that you're talking about, uh, obviously, I would imagine that the pandemic itself has changed a lot of even what the labels are offering. Have you seen that that's the case, too? You know what? I haven't seen too much about what the labels are offering and how that's different since the pandemic. 
but we have heard from a lot of artists about their, you know, their need for money. So a number of artists were relying on income from touring that unfortunately they're not going to see this year. And what's also amazing about this scale program is that we actually don't care what you use the money for. You can use it for your music or you can use it to pay rent. It does not matter to us at all. And so we saw a lot more interest in the program because of how flexible it was. So it's a great offering for artists who need to close the gap between earnings that they were counting on and unfortunately aren't seeing. And that's important. That's important. I I also want to bring up another point here uh, that kind of fits in with all this, because this is to me. And again, I'm not a, I'm not a numbers guy, but this is to me one of the, the smartest things that, that, that's kind of came into the music industry, because, again, it's helping the artists out. So the ones that's already got their leg up and kind of on the way uh, without taking their power away from them. Uh, you had mentioned, I think, in another interview, too, because the importance of good investments in the industry. Uh, it's something I never thought of either because you have a lot, I think you'd said, uh, or someone had said, maybe it was a reviewer had said, you know, when new money comes in, doesn't know what they're doing. It's harmful to the industry in a way that eventually trickles down to how I hear and what I hear from music. Uh, could you expand a little bit on that as well? Because again, that's just yeah. something that I never considered. You think putting money in is going to put money in, but it's not all helpful. Yeah. Um, first of all, thank you for listening to that. Um, it's, it's always really nice when someone sort of, you know, does a little bit of the research. And so this says a lot about you. So thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's something I'm really worried about, you know, as a company that talks to different types of capital sources all the time, right. Cause we're in the financial space. We talk to private equity, we talk to venture capital, we talk to like what, what are called limited partners, right. So every business is funded some somehow sometimes when they're huge, they're funded by the public markets. You buy the public general public by stocks and that funds and fuels the growth of a business for private companies. There's individual investors, right. And what, really determines the growth of a market in a segment is how many people are interested in the asset class. And what's become really interesting is um, the economy is really unstable. So other asset classes like oil and gas, which we saw this year, are just not as reliable or stable as they used to be. And music is having a resurgence where in streaming worlds, it's becoming a very stable asset. And that's why you hear about all of these big songwriters, producers, and artists selling their catalogs for hundreds of millions of dollars or 22x multiples on what their value is. And it seems really exciting because that means that there's a lot of interest in the space and it's growing. Um, What gets really scary is that the people who are just getting into the music business that are raising money from Wall Street or from institutional private investors, you know, those investors are taking a risk. And if they don't see a return on that risk in a short period of time, they're not going to want to come back to the music space. And we saw this as a problem about a decade ago. There was so much private equity that came in and funded the growth of the major label system with companies like uh, Warner and Universal. They were all private equity owned at some point, right? Universal is not owned by Vivendi, but there's been so many transactions in the space. And a lot of those investors didn't get good returns. And so they pulled out of music. And so right as the music industry started losing money because of Napster and before streaming figured out how to monetize music again, there was very little growth in the space and there's very little investment. And I think we're finally in a position for the music business to stop self-destructing because there's so many smarter ways to value music today more accurately and to take less risk where we can show Wall Street and all the financial markets that music is stable and it's a really reliable asset class. And the biggest risk to it is when people are doing a land grab and overpaying for catalog where 
it may or may not return. And when you have a number of people competing for the same rights, they're just, you know, for lack of a better word, you know, fighting each other in a dick measuring contest. I don't know if I can say that. <laughs> Instagram live. You can. Great. Um, but yeah, they're just sort of battling it out for the rights and who knows if, if they're going to make their return. I hope they do. But when I see some of the ways that they're valuing some of the rights, I get a little bit nervous because I don't think they fully understand the trends of how music's going to grow over the next couple of years. And, you know, with scale, we really only look to advance at most three years out. And a lot of these companies are looking to value catalog five, 10, 15 years out. And I think we just don't know enough about what the business is going to look like that far out. And I hope that the growth they're projecting is real. I just don't know. The one thing we do know is people keep being born and they keep finding music and it just keeps, it feels like it's as relevant as it's ever been. And that's how it's been for a hundred years. I do want to kind of wrap up by bringing it back to the little guys. You know, we heard from that band uh, earlier. I think they were called the High Lows, if I remember seeing your name on there. How they can approach this year, uh, you know, if if you're smaller, if you're if you're still to the point where you're not to this level, you know, you're not to the STEM level. What's the data that they should be paying attention to right now? What do they need to keep their eyes on to get to that next spot? I think figure out who's buying your merch and figure out what else they want to buy from you and how you can engage them more closely, right? Um, you know, in, in our world, we do a lot of surveys. We do a lot of feedback gathering from our early users. I really would encourage artists to think about themselves as products in that way and figure out how they can better serve their fans and what their fans want more from them and monetize them more directly. Like if you can figure out what is the convenient price point from your fan base to pay for being part of your fan base and what value they want out of that, how they want to engage with you through it. You don't need millions of fans. You can probably make a sustainable income from monetizing a couple hundred. And so think about what you could do to super serve your core fans because they're like your army, right? And they're willing to support you. And I think the Patreon type of model is really interesting. And I don't think enough musicians, especially earlier in their careers, have taken advantage of it because it's not just, you know, a subscription model for your early fans. It really is like, your core early investors almost that want to promote you, that want to bring their fans along, uh, want to bring their friends along on the fan journey. And I would just use the time to figure out how you engage with them through those ways. Absolutely. Well, thank you for the work that you're doing with STEM. And I want to say again, uh, Milana Lewis, you can look her up at STEM. It looks like the website is stem.is where people can find out uh, what you're doing and online too. Uh, And and does this year look very different than you planned? I mean, it's different for all of us. Are you all able to kind of continue with business as usual or has it really kind of chopped up how you're performing as well? Yeah, no, our team's been really remarkably resilient. Um, We've always been a company that uses like cloud-based software and We've always had a flexible work from home policy. So for the most part, things are pretty much as normal as they can be during these times. I think, you know, we're really bummed. We don't get to be out there with our favorite artists and going to the shows and seeing them at the festivals. Like that's what all of us look forward to, whether it's in the summer and like traveling around or at night, like that's the stuff that is the most like rewarding for us is seeing the artists that we love on stage and being able to hang out with them. Uh, So I think that's a huge bummer for us, but Otherwise, you know, business as usual on the day to day. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. It sounds like uh, you've helped out some people that's uh, that's been watching here as well, which is what I was hoping for. So thank, thank you, you so much. It was great talking to you. You too. Thanks for uh, having me on the show. And my thanks again, Milana Lewis, STEM. 
and to Harvey Mason Jr. from the Recording Academy and the Grammys. And thanks to you for listening to this episode. Again, before you get out of here, uh, I do hope you hit the subscribe button so you can keep up with all of the interviews that we put out every single week, a new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, which, again, is a great way to keep up with all of your favorite artists, discover some new ones, know what's happening in the music industry, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, anywhere you get your favorite podcast from. Just type in Kyle Meredith with and subscribe. And after that, head to WFPK.org, where I do a show Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern. It's an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, and bonus interviews. WFPK.org, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. Consequence of Sound, they've got your music and film news. You can find me on the social media spots as well. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of them at Kyle Meredith. Hope you like and follow along there as well. And that does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org, from Louisville Public Media. You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade, or at least grab an extra latte. After getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com goals24. That's Chime.com goals24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.